Well, today and the next uh, two weeks after today will be a little bit different uh, on Sunday mornings. Mostly the same in general structure, but a little bit different in terms of content. We are, for the rest of the month of November, bringing uh, our monthly Sunday evening uh, worship times to Sunday morning. And on those uh, monthly Sunday evening uh, gatherings, when we gather together on the last Sunday of the month, we look at whole books of the Bible from kind of a 30,000-foot perspective. And so uh, this series we have called, I have called Woven, and in it we are, we are getting broad overview sermons, uh, broad overview studies of whole books of the Bible, but with a specific eye to how either in the Old Testament books Christ is anticipated or prefigured or looked forward to, or in the New Testament, how Christ fulfills all of those promises of God in the Old Testament. Paul the Apostle says all of God's promises find their yes in Him, in Christ. And so as we read all of Scripture, we should be reading it looking toward Christ. This morning, uh, we are going to jump back into the Old Testament and the section of the Old Testament known as wisdom literature. Uh, If you've been following along on the Sunday evenings that we've met together, you know that the last time we uh, had a uh, a woven study, we were in the the Old Testament book of Job. And those of you who memorized all your books of the Bible when you were in Sunday school and have been following along and knowing that I've been taking the books uh, of the Bible in order, in canonical order, will recognize that there is another book between Job and Proverbs, which is where we'll be today, a book called Psalms. I'm skipping it in woven for the time being. Because there's a lot of psalms doing a lot of different things, and it's a little bit of a tricky one for me. So we're going to skip it and go to Proverbs. That's terrible. I never skip things, Danny. Oh, man. Well, we're going to be in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're kind of new to the Bible and needing to find your place, uh, take, take a copy of the Bible. Or if you have your phone, you can just click straight to Proverbs. But if you have a physical copy of the Bible, just kind of find about the middle and open it up. And if you're in Psalms, turn a few pages to the right to get to Proverbs. If you're in like Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon or Isaiah, turn a few pages to the left to get to Proverbs. Now, hopefully, all of you received uh, a little note sheet, a little bifold kind of thing that you can follow along uh, or use to follow along this morning. And, uh, and I, we do those for all of these Woven Series uh, sermons. And if you're interested in going back, you can find them all uh, on our website as well. And those are meant to kind of like maybe stuff in your study Bible or stick in a folder or something like that. So you have a helpful sort of summary and overview of these different books of the Bible that you can, you can return to over time. And there's some blanks that uh, you may want to fill out in that study guide this morning as we work through Proverbs, and I invite you to do so. Now, because these are big sermons from a, a, a big point of view, there, uh, uh, there are miles to go before we sleep this morning. So buckle up. Here we go. If ever there was a need for wisdom, which, by the way, is the purpose of Proverbs, to give wisdom to God's people, it would be to understand perhaps a proverb or two proverbs like this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The very next proverb, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, what? Lord, if this is you speaking to us through your word, giving us wisdom, are we to do? Do we answer a fool or don't we? The answer is, it depends. 
The way we find that answer to, to whether we answer a fool according to his folly or we don't answer a fool according to his folly is through wisdom, through knowing what to do and when to do it and the right way to do it according to God's desire and plans for us. And that's the purpose of Proverbs is to give us godly wisdom for living. Now, as we look at each of these books of the Bible, we want to do a little bit of background to help, help kind of uh, get a, a feel for the context of that book. And so there are lots of things that go into this. You have these uh, there on your note sheet. First of all, we, all, we want to know who was the human author of this book. Now, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, written down by human authors. So, uh, so we know that God is the ultimate author of Proverbs, but who is the human author? Who's the, the one that was putting pen to paper or pen to papyrus, the one who was being guided along by the Holy Spirit to do this? Well, Proverbs is tough because we don't have one stated author of all of it. Proverbs mentions that Solomon, the king after David, the son of David, uh, in, in Proverbs 1, 1, it mentions him as the compiler of at least several of the Proverbs within the book. Um, uh, actually, chapters 1 through about 22 or so are all attributed to Solomon. And then a few more later on, um, uh, a few later on in uh, chapter 25 as well. King Hezekiah, who was a king several generations after Solomon, collected some additional uh, Solomonic proverbs and, and added them to this addition of godly wisdom. There are also, we find in the book of Proverbs, these sayings of the wise and oracles of Agur and sayings from King Lemuel. And nothing is definitively known of who Agur or King Lemuel are. We don't have a whole lot in history to point us to who these individuals are. And yet they expounded some wisdom that the people of God Saul was helpful as it was submitted to the lordship of God. So we don't have a definitive author of Hebrews, but very, uh, excuse me, of Proverbs. Very likely, it was, Solomon is a, a large contributor, and another editor at another time uh, compiled all of these wise sayings together into the book of Proverbs that we have now. Well, what about the date? When was this book written? Well, we know that Solomon reigned from about 931, 971 to 931 B.C., and so the Proverbs that are attributed to him would have been written down or said or recorded at least during his reign. But the fact that Hezekiah reigned much later, 715 to 686 B.C. or so, indicates that Proverbs was compiled and edited over time among, uh, among the Hebrews. And so this is a, a book that has kind of grown throughout the history uh, or did grow throughout the history of God's people, the Hebrews, through their uh, uh, time in history before Christ. If we were to sum up the whole book of Proverbs, which is always helpful to do with these different books of the Bible, to give a, a total summary of what, what its content is, what in a couple of sentences is this book about, I would, I would submit a summary like this, that Proverbs is a collection of wisdom for living as God's covenant people. It is intensely practical, and it encompasses all areas of a person's life. We find in it that the pursuit of wisdom, of knowing the right thing to do the right way at the right time, is a lifelong process of discerning the best way to reflect and to live out the desires of God, the character of God, the, the very personality of God who calls His people in every circumstance and in every pro practical opportunity in life. 
there are several themes to trace throughout Proverbs. And if you've spent much time reading Proverbs, you've, you've maybe seen that some of the statements in there seem kind of randomly just in there. Like the, the, the one proverb you're reading may not have a whole lot of connection to the one before it or the one after it. But you'll find that, that maybe you can trace threads or themes throughout Proverbs about a certain area of life or wisdom in a certain circumstance. Here are three themes that I find important uh, to, to capture when you're reading Proverbs. Certainly there are more, though. First of all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Second, godly wisdom is walked in, not just merely known. Wisdom is a thing to be lived out. It is a path to trod. It's not just information to gain. And third, wisdom is available to all who desire it. These are three things that we see throughout the course of Proverbs, and we'll return to some of those throughout the course of our time in Proverbs this morning. The last thing that we want to do before we actually get into the text uh, that is before us is to think about where does this book, where does this divinely authored book of God's Word, where does it fit into what God is doing in the world? Where does it fit into redemption history, God's plan to rescue sinners by grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ? Redemption history has four major epochs, four major movements that we see playing out through Scripture and in human history. First, the first epoch, the, the beginning of it all, is in creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's, a, that's the beginning of redemption history. It's the beginning of all history. But shortly after that, we, we, we see, we find in the pages of Scripture, Genesis 3, barely three chapters into the Bible, that mankind, God's, uh, uh, God's first, the first human beings that he made, Adam and Eve, fall. They disobey God. They rebel against his rightful rule and authority in their lives. They eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the the fruit that God had forbidden them from eating. And in eating that fruit, they sin and become sinners. Their relationship with God is broken. It's fractured. The whole created order is thrown into disarray. Now mankind has to work and toil uh, in the ground to bring fruit to to sustain himself. There's pain and childbearing for women, all sorts of relational conflict between men and women uh, in marriage and in the world. And also at that same time in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we have a promise of coming redemption. So right there in the shadow of the the worst event in human history, man and woman falling, uh, uh, sinning, breaking relationship with God, we have a promise from God that the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent who tempted her. That's a, that's a very early picture of the gospel. A very early picture of God's work to rescue sinners, to redeem, to buy back this, this time in history, this event that broke everything. And we know that that redemption is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the seed of the woman, the, the offspring who crushes the head of the serpent, who puts sin and death to death when he dies on the cross and is raised again, who gives victory over sin and death to every person who trusts in him alone for salvation, turning from their sin and depending upon him as Lord. Redemption is a reality for every person who has trusted Jesus this way. And the final epoch of redemption history is that of consummation, that day that we're looking forward to when Christ will return again to call the church to himself, to bring the new heavens and the new earth into being so that we might dwell there with him forever. That's redemption history from the beginning to the end, which we are still waiting for. So where does Proverbs fit in all of that? In several of the other books that we've looked at in uh, 
in this woven series. We've, we've circled one or two or maybe a position between those different epochs of redemption history to say this is kind of where this book most fits in redemption history. Proverbs is different though. Proverbs is giving wisdom for living. And so I would like to say that Proverbs kind of sits over all of redemption history. So normally I ask you to circle one of those words or a space in between or something like that or a couple of those words. Here, I'd, I'd encourage you to maybe make a bracket that goes over the top of those four epochs of redemption history, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, because wisdom is for all of life, all of the time. Now you have in your uh, note guide a, an outline to Proverbs. Before we get into it, I want to give you a, a, just a, a couple of tips for how to read Proverbs. When you read Proverbs, maybe some of you read a proverb a day or a chapter of Proverbs every day. That's a good practice. But as you read Proverbs and seek to study it on your own, remember that Proverbs falls into a category of biblical literature called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, friends, often defies a soundbite synopsis or proof text summary. It's hard to, to sum up godly wisdom that comes to us from scripture. So to understand wisdom literature well in the Bible, we need to read the whole thing, trace the themes that go through it, and consider the end from the beginning. Oftentimes wisdom literature is meant to teach us something over the passage of a uh, over the entire passage of a particular book. We saw that in the book of Job. Job is a long book, 42, 43 chapters. And the point of all of it is that God is God and we are not. But you've got to read all of Job to get that. You've got to go through all of Job's suffering and all of his knuckleheaded friends' responses to him in his suffering to get to the point where God confronts Job and says, Job, I know you're hurting, but I need you to trust me. I can't give you all the answers because if I did, your brain would melt out of your ears. So, Job, I'm God, you're not, trust me. kind of have to read Proverbs a little bit the same way too. Read it through, trace its themes, and see what God is saying at the end. So when you read Proverbs on your own, I encourage you to ask four questions. First of all, what is this text, what is this proverb telling me about God and his character? What am I first learning about who God is through these words of wisdom? Second, what is this text, what is this proverb, what does this chapter of Proverbs teach about the nature of humanity? Learn about who God is, but what is this saying about who I am, what I'm prone to do, what I'm prone to be like? Third, how does this text instruct me to live in light of these truths? Knowing who God is, knowing who I am from what God's word says, how do I need to live? And Proverbs is especially helpful and practical to us in that regard. And and, uh, fourth and finally, how does this text call me to trust God? How does it call me to worship him? Knowing who he is, knowing who I I am, knowing how I ought to live in the world uh, wisely, Now, how do I need to trust God with that? What area of my life is there that I've not yet turned over to him for that? You'll see the outline of Proverbs there in your handout. We have an introduction by Solomon. We have Solomon's uh, fatherly invitation to wisdom in chapters 1 through 9. We have all of Solomon's Proverbs in 10 through 22. We have these 30 sayings of the wise. We don't know who these people are in 22 through 24. We have more sayings of the wise. Again, we don't know who they are. Collection of wise guys in chapter 24. Then we have Hezekiah's collection of Solomon's Proverbs in chapters 25 through 29. Then we have the collection of the sayings of Agur, the collection of the sayings of King Lemuel. And then we have at the very end in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, an alphabetic acrostic of womanly excellence. 
Every line of Proverbs 31, 10 through uh, 31, begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem describing womanly excellence. So let's jump into Proverbs. I've subtitled this sermon today, very creatively, Wisdom. Maybe I, I could have made it a little bit longer. Wisdom and how we get it. The answer to that kind of question, how we get wisdom, comes to us very early in the course of Proverbs. And I've, we're going to be all over Proverbs today. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word if you want to. I'm going to move quickly, so God bless you for keeping up. Um, you have also some, some uh, passages that have been printed out in your note guides as well, if that makes it a little bit more helpful to follow along. But first of all, we find, and most importantly in the context of Proverbs, this, that wisdom comes from worship. Wisdom comes from worship. No one said amen, but maybe you will in a second. Oh, now you're jumping the gun. This is, unmis- this is the unmistakable key to Proverbs. Don't miss it. If you miss this, you miss the point of Proverbs. Wisdom comes through worship. True wisdom, the ability to, to know what to do and when to do it and how best to do it, starts with worship of God. As the Proverbs begin, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 7, tell us that the purpose of this collection of sayings, the purpose of these Proverbs are to know wisdom and instruction, to understand insight, to receive instruction for righteousness, for justice, for equity, to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. And then verse 7, you see it in your Bibles, is where it all starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord, we know, is not the scary kind of terror that we have in horror films, which uh, uh, were all over the place on every streaming service during Halloween. Fear of the Lord is not terror of, of something terrifying, but fear of the Lord in a biblical sense is a reverence. It's an, a sense of awe. It's a posture of worship and an approach of admiration toward God who is sovereign, who's in charge of all things. To fear the Lord is to trust Him and to turn to Him regularly for true wisdom. That's what Solomon is inviting us to here. This call to fear the Lord, this call to trust the Lord, appears over 20 times in Proverbs. And friends, we would be foolish to ignore it. Read Proverbs this week. I encourage you. If you do it in one sitting, it might take you about two or two and a half hours if you're reading it kind of slowly. You will find this call to trust the Lord, to fear the Lord, appearing over 20 times in the course of all of its wisdom. Here's the point of it all. Real wisdom does not come apart from worship, apart from reverence of God, awe of God, recognition that He is God and we are not. Put differently, friend, you cannot be truly wise until you truly worship. All true worship is not of any God, as we find in the course of Hebrews, but always the Lord. You'll see it there probably in your English Bibles, uh, all there in small caps, L-O-R-D. Every time we see that in the Old Testament, that is uh, uh, the English translation of God's personal name that he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Uh, Scholars think it's pronounced something like Yahweh, but we're not totally sure. It is that personal name of God, I am who I am. This is the one that we worship, and he is the one who gives wisdom. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one who's sovereign over it all. Beside him, there is no other. And we learn that wisdom is a part of the character of God. It's part of who He is. He is eternally wise. 
Wisdom is personified throughout the book, and words are even put into the mouth of wisdom to teach us. And so we see wisdom saying in uh, Proverbs 8, 22 and 23, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Know this this morning, brothers and sisters, wisdom is not in the minds of men, but it is in the mind of God. He is truly wise and he is eternally wise. And so the call to pursue wisdom is a call to pursue that which flows from the very heart of God. And again, not any God but the God who lovingly creates and calls men and women into relationship with himself. The call to get wisdom is also a call to learn the desires and the will of God for everyone. God is not just wise, he's also sovereign. He rules and he reigns over all things. To be wise is to know this. To be wise is to know that God is sovereign. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. He is sovereign. His will will be done. His purpose will be completed. You may be wondering at this point, is it possible to know if I'm growing in wisdom. Here I am, almost 40 years old. I'm trying to figure out if I'm any wiser at 40 than I was at 30 or 20 or 12. You may be wondering, am I growing in wisdom? Am I wiser today than I was yesterday or last year? The first question that I would give in response to that question, am I growing in wisdom, is to ask you this. Are you growing in worship? If wisdom comes from worship... Friend, you cannot grow in wisdom until you grow in worship. You cannot grow in wisdom until you grow in your reverence of God, your awe of God, your delight in Him. That's where wisdom comes from. So if you want to grow in wisdom, grow in worship. Real wisdom doesn't come apart from recognizing who wisdom ultimately comes from and the purpose of Him who gives it. Moving into the more practical aspect, now that we've seen the the key to understanding Proverbs, we now see some of the practical application of the Proverbs. And there is this one theme that runs through Proverbs that teaches us that wisdom is for walking. Wisdom is for walking, and walking is a a euphemism throughout Scripture for how we live. We walk in life. We, We live through circumstances. So I don't mean literally, you know, taking a walk around the park, but wisdom for living life. Proverbs is an intensely practical book of Scripture. There are lots of pithy, short little statements that could effectively double, if you wanted to, as very successful fortune cookie fillers. Now, I was tempted to quiz you all to see how well you knew the Proverbs. I, I, I was tempted to get a list of random, you know, random list of Proverbs and, and a bunch of random fortune cookie filler things and just see who thought, who, who of you thought one was a proverb and, one, and which one was a fortune cookie. But I decided I, I didn't want that probably was not going to end well. So I didn't. But you could see reading through Proverbs how some of these, like you could crack open your fortune cookie at Panda Express and read one of these and probably feel good about it. I don't know. But that's not what they're for. The godly wisdom, the practical wisdom that God and his word gives to us in Proverbs is not meant for entertainment. It's meant for living. It's meant to be applied. It's meant to be walked in. 
Wisdom, we could say, is not just information to obtain. Wisdom is a path to walk. And this is a, a, a phrase, this is a picture that I've begun to use a lot in conversations with people, particularly as we walk through this mid-COVID age and weird political times in the United States and all of the challenges that we face as a society, I have often, I've often asked the question, what is the path of wisdom through this or that issue? Not which side is right or wrong, because sometimes we can pick sides and we align ourselves with people who are fools, even though they like some of the same, same things that we like. The question we need to ask is, what is the path of wisdom through this issue? So wisdom is a path to walk, but as we find in the course of Proverbs, so is foolishness, so is folly. Folly is also a path to walk. Each of these, which are pitted against each other throughout Proverbs, the way of wisdom, the way of folly, are a way of living, a way of walking, either wise or foolish. And Solomon, who starts all of these Proverbs, invites his son. As you're reading Proverbs 1 through 9, you'll see uh, regularly over and again Solomon saying, my son, listen to my words. My son, if you heed my voice, my son, hear these words of wisdom. He invites his son, who, who in some sense is us in kind of a proverbial sense. You can put yourself in the place of Solomon's son and listen to the wisdom he is teaching. He invites his son, he invites us to get wisdom. And, when, he, and when, when his son gets wisdom, when we get wisdom, we find Proverbs 2 verses 9 and 10 that then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Wisdom is a path to walk. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We're invited, uh, get wisdom so you can know how to walk. At the same time, we're warned regularly throughout Proverbs to avoid the path of foolishness. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. These are two examples, but there are countless more throughout Proverbs. Tug on one string in Proverbs, you'll see lots of other verses move throughout the course of the book. But I appreciate most especially the way that the Proverbs speak about the pursuit of wisdom and the trap of folly as a walk with or a walk toward one of two certain kinds of women. Both wisdom and folly are personified as different kinds of women in Proverbs. On the one hand, wisdom is a walk with a lovely lady. Wisdom is a walk with a lovely lady. Wisdom is frequently personified in Proverbs as a virtuous woman, lovely in every way, desirable, admirable, gracious, hospitable. Solomon says in Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. Now, that's uh, just a way of saying she's getting ready for a feast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Come to my house if you need knowledge. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. In fact, the personification of wisdom as a lady as, as lady wisdom, we could call her, and I've become fond of calling her. Personification of wisdom as a lady has led some people to believe, some scholars to believe, that Proverbs 31, that acrostic of womanly excellence, is not simply uh, about the kind of wife that is desirable for a young man, but about wisdom itself. Wisdom looks like this woman in Proverbs 31. Of course, we can take Proverbs 31 both ways. This is what wisdom looks like, and this is what a wise wife looks like, and maybe it's good to take it both ways. A wise wife, like the woman of Proverbs 31, is desirable to a godly man who is seeking wisdom. 
Young men, do you want wisdom? Find you a wise wife. And so also the kind of wisdom that God gives should be sought after. It should be pursued. It should be walked in the same way, wooing it, chasing it, seeking it. So wisdom is a walk with a lovely lady. Wisdom is also a walk away from the harlot. And as much as wisdom is personified as this noble, virtuous woman, folly, foolishness is personified as a prostitute throughout Proverbs. Just as wisdom appears as a lovely woman, folly appears as a woman of sinful seduction. Again, Solomon says in Proverbs 9, verses 13 through 18, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Wisdom, dear friends, is a path to walk. It's a way to live. The invitation to be wise is an invitation to life. It's an invitation to wisdom, uh, uh, insight. It's an invitation to understanding. Wisdom is attractive in her understated beauty and industry. And she welcomes everyone to her table that they might live. On the other hand, folly, foolishness, is also attractive, but her beauty is overstated. She promises fun, but delivers death. She invites guests to eat food that is poisoned, and in her living room are a mess of lifeless bodies. Which woman, which path does your heart go after this morning? What do you desire? The harder, straight, difficult path toward wisdom through worshiping God, or the easy broad, very walkable path of folly that ultimately leads to a grave room or to a living room that is a mass grave. Wisdom for walking teaches us that, that, that wisdom is a path to walk through all of life as we worship God. There is also, we find in the pages of Proverbs, wisdom for family. It comes as no surprise that since wisdom is personified as a beautiful woman and as a faithful wife throughout Proverbs, that there are a number of reminders to young women, or excuse me, to young men who read Proverbs to get a wife like that and to cherish her and to flee from the adulteress. Proverbs holds up faithful marriage as a virtue of wisdom. Wise men love their wives exclusively, Proverbs says. Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19, listen. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I know that sounds a little PG-13, but it's in God's word. And just wait till we get to Song of Solomon in two weeks. You laugh now. But, but see in this, in this proverb, in this passage, friends, listen, men especially, listen, men, brothers, to the wisdom of God's plan for faithful marriage. Godly wisdom leads us to see that a wise wife is a gift from the Lord, Proverbs 19, 14. That a wise wife is the crown of her husband, Proverbs 12, 4. Brothers, if you are married, wisdom says delight in the exclusive faithfulness of your bride. 
We can expect that in a marriage with this kind of godly passion and delight that children may also soon follow. That was, there was a joke implied there. <laughs> and there is wisdom for parenting in Proverbs as well. The wisdom of Proverbs for parents, though, is quite opposite from the kind of wisdom for parenting that Disney and Nickelodeon give to us. There, in those places, most of the parents in those Disney shows, in those Nickelodeon shows, are either telling their children, just follow your heart. Go wherever your heart leads you. Do whatever makes you happy. Or all the parents in the shows are idiots and the kids are the ones who know everything. But Proverbs is a shock to this very backward system. Listen to, listen to God's wisdom from Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Every parent in the room said, Amen. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty-three thirteen. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. I didn't mean that to be as funny. <laughs> Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now understand, these verses are not advocating child abuse, and child abuse is a real issue in real, in real homes. And we, we don't turn a blind eye to it. Fathers, mothers should never abuse their children. But here are words from God to parents to remind them that children need training. Children need discipline. They need formative discipline through teaching and modeling and behavior shaping. And children need punitive discipline when they disobey. Parents, godly wisdom calls you to be the adult in the home who points your children to the path of wisdom. Godly wisdom says, Mom, Dad, you got a job to do. And children, students, those who are still living at home, you're not left out of this picture. If you want to be wise one day, young men, young women... Children, if you want to be wise, listen to your father, listen to your mother, and and emulate their worship of the Lord and the wisdom of their life that flows from it. Young people, children, hear hear this word from Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. There's wisdom there. All the parents said amen again. Speaking of listening... Speaking of listening to our parents, Proverbs also has a lot to say about wisdom and words. So we have wisdom and walking, wisdom for family now, wisdom and words, the things that come out of our mouths, the way that we communicate. You may be wanting to know, first of all, what wisdom has to say about what we say, about the words that come out of our mouth. And Proverbs does get to this, but it is first concerned, I think, Proverbs is most concerned, not with the words that come out of our mouths, but with the words that we listen to. Proverbs is most concerned with our listening. True wisdom, as we see in the course of Proverbs, listens. It's attentive. In fact, listening to wisdom is one of the most noticeable traits of a wise person. Wise people listen to wisdom. Again, Lady Wisdom personified says in Proverbs 8, 34 and 35, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And several times the Proverbs plead with the reader to listen to instruction. You'll find it in chapter 1, chapter 5, 7, 8, 15, 19. Proverbs regularly calls the reader to turn a deaf ear to foolishness. Listen to wisdom, ignore folly. 
Chapter 5, 17, 29, I'll say, stop your ears to the voice of folly. Perhaps you have now, even in your mind, the wisdom from the New Testament letter by James ringing in your ears. James 1, verse 19, the half-brother of Jesus says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wisdom says, listen hard, listen well, listen to wisdom when you hear it. Again, you may wonder how to know if you're listening wisely or if you're listening to a fool. Remember the key to wisdom in Proverbs? What's the key to the wisdom in Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How do I I know if I'm listening well, if I'm listening as a wise person would listen? Well, does the one to whom you are listening, do they fear God or do they fear man? Right? The desires, the, the heart orientation of the person that you are listening to may say a lot about whether or not what they are saying is wise. If their heart's disposition is to worship the Lord, to fear Him, then you can, in some regard, expect that the words that come out of their mouth will be guided by the wisdom that comes from worshiping God. But if there is an individual who is far from the Lord, saying all kinds of nonsense, you can assume that their lack of worship for God probably is going to lead to folly coming out of their mouth. Does the one who is influencing you, seeking to gain your attention, are they seeking God's glory or are they seeking their own? Does the trajectory of their instruction take you to self-gratification or to loving service of God and to others? How do we listen well? Well, we listen, we try to listen as best we can to the heart of those who are speaking to us. Is there's a heart that fears the Lord? If so, they may well be speaking wisdom. Is their heart far from God, desiring their own glory, their own kingdom, trying to prove their own self-righteousness? Well, then maybe I need to take their words with a grain of salt, maybe a block of salt. So there's wisdom for words in Proverbs in terms of listening, in terms of listening, but there's also wisdom in Proverbs in terms of words regarding what we speak, regarding what we say. Perhaps the most important thing that wisdom says about what we speak is that we often talk too much. Proverbs 17:28 says, "Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent." Mark Twain said it a little bit differently. Mark Twain said it is, and this was my uh, my, my senior quote in my uh, year in, in my senior yearbook, high school high school yearbook, my senior year. It is better to keep your mouth shut and appear to be a fool, than to open it and remove all doubt. Those words are emblazoned for all time underneath my picture in Cibola High School 2001 yearbook. But can we be honest with ourselves for just a moment to admit that in our social media, cable news, smartphone-saturated world today, that we would all do better to just not say anything at all? Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Fools, Proverbs tells us, has, have lots to say and little sense. Proverbs 29.9 and 29.11, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Sounds a lot like Twitter to me. Wisdom doesn't require us to say, stay silent. We see that in the pages of Proverbs. But only to speak what is true and what is helpful, what is wise. Proverbs 12, 18 and 19 instructs us, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, 
But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Speaking the truth can hurt. We're called to speak what is true. We're called to speak what is helpful and faithful and right, but sometimes speaking the truth can hurt. But wisdom knows how to hurt in a way that brings healing. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do your words bring life and healing to others? Are you unafraid to say what is true in order to help and bring about healing in the life of a friend, even when you know it may hurt at first? Or are they like blind thrusts of a sword? Do you just throw out words like a hapless, helpless fool with a dagger in his hand? Does your speech drip with the grace and the kindness of God whom you worship? Or are you likely to rage and rant in anger? Which are you more given to, brothers? Our words, brothers and sisters, and how we use them reveal much about our fear of the Lord and the wisdom that we are gaining from Him. Wisdom knows how to listen, and wisdom knows how to speak. Finally, Proverbs gives, us much, gives much to us about wisdom and our work. So wisdom in our walking, wisdom in the family, wisdom in our words, wisdom in our work, the effort, the labor of our hands, work, labor, productivity, industry, we find in the course of Proverbs gives us yet one more window into what sort of persons we are, what kind of people we are becoming. There are three kinds of people that the Proverbs speak about in regard to work and labor in the world. First of all, there is the fool. The fool is the one who works poorly. The fool is the one who frustrates his employer. The fool is the one who cannot be trusted. His work is done according to the foolishness of his own mind. And in the end, his work is a harm. It's a danger to other people. Proverbs 26.10 says, Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Someone who hires a fool is like an archer just shooting arrows wherever they might go. Not like Legolas in Lord of the Rings who his arrow always shoots true. This is like me at an archery range. The fool is a person who works in a way that endangers others or is not faithful to the task. Then there's also the sluggard. The sluggard is different from the fool. The fool will work, but the fool works foolishly. The sluggard in Proverbs is a picture of a lazy person who will not work at all. The sluggard is the one who does not see the need to work. Proverbs 21:25 says, "The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor." To get out of work, he'll make up fanciful tales about lions in the streets. Can't go out today. There's lying in the street. I mean, it's just crazy. The sluggard loves to sleep. In Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 24, one proverb repeated in two places. This in the mouth of the sluggard. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then the word of wisdom. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The sluggard loves to sleep and never finishes what he starts. He is not wise, neither is he a fool, he's just lazy. Finally, we see a picture of the wise, the wise worker. There's the fool, there's the sluggard, and then there's the wise person. 
The wise man seeks work or sees work differently. He approaches labor from a different perspective. He sees work, he sees labor as a gift of God to be returned to God in worship. Proverbs 16:3 Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We see that the wise man is not afraid of hard work because from it he knows that there is produce and livelihood. Proverbs 12, verse 11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And where the fool and the sluggard bring dishonor on themselves, the wise man knows that his skillful work may bear great honor for him in time. Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, there are lots of statements in Proverbs like that that sound like a promise of God. We shouldn't necessarily take them as promises of God. Does it mean that every person who's skillful at his labor will will get an invitation to the Oval Office in the White House? No. But the principle is, is generally true. Skillful people, people who work hard at their labor, doing it well with all the ability that God has gifted them with, get noticed. Most of all, the wise man knows that the wealth from his work is not his own. Hard work, honest labor, productive effort does sometimes lead to wealth. It does sometimes lead to financial prosperity. But for the person who becomes wealthy because of their diligent work, he knows, if he is wise, that his wealth is really not his, but rather that it's God's provision to him so that he might be generous to others. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Friend, are you a wise worker? Is your work done to the glory of God as an act of worship toward him? That's how wise people work. Are you generous to the needy with whatever wealth, great or small, that you may gain from your work? Proverbs has so much to say to us in the way of godly wisdom, and we've only pulled on a few strings this morning. But the point of this sermon series, as we've been plodding through it over the last several years, has been to see how Christ is revealed to us in every book of Scripture. The resurrected Jesus took time in Luke chapter 24 to explain to two of his followers everything in all of the Scriptures pertaining to himself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So we've seen a lot of practical wisdom. We know that wisdom comes from the worship of the Lord. But where is Christ in Proverbs? Where is Jesus present in this book of wisdom? Where do we discover Christ in this of God's words? Well, we could certainly look to Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. We could look to that proverb and say Jesus is that greater, true, strong tower of defense and salvation to the one who hides in him. Absolutely, we could say that. And we would not be wrong to to say that. We could go further. We could look just a few verses down at Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And there we could say that Jesus, the Son of God, who says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We could look to that Jesus in those words and say, this Jesus is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. So close as to give his own life for sinners. But I think that we see Jesus best 
in Proverbs as the full and embodied revelation of the wisdom of God. Where is Jesus in Proverbs? All of it. In fact, we could look at Jesus and say all of Proverbs is found in him. All of God's wisdom for living and working and for family and for words and all of that are found in Christ, demonstrated in a sinless life for us. Friends, know this. Where, where is Jesus in Proverbs? Jesus is the wisdom of God. We read as part of our call to worship this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. I'll read them again. And now as I read them again, think about Proverbs and think about Christ. Think about the wisdom of God's word in Proverbs and think about Jesus. Paul says to the church at Corinth, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, through, through its own fleshly human sort of wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross of Jesus Christ, where he died to pay for sins, sounds foolish. Who would do such a thing? Who would die for ungrateful, undeserving, God-hating people? Jesus would. And not only would he, but he did. The world sees this. The world sees the gospel that Jesus died for sinners and rose again so that whoever trusts in him will be forgiven and have eternal life with God. The world sees this as the pinnacle of foolishness. That's stupid, the world says. A waste of life. So it's a waste of the life of Jesus, this great teacher. It's a waste of his death. It's a waste of God's love, right? No, dear friends, God in his word says that this was his wisdom on display. Jesus on the cross is God's wisdom for us to behold. Further still, that Jesus, the one who gave himself willingly, the one who laid down his life for a friend, is the very embodied reality of God's wisdom and of God's power. Do you want wisdom for living, dear friend? Begin by fearing the Lord. That's the key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you want wisdom that leads to eternal life? Well, then receive Jesus as Lord. Turn from the foolishness of living life on your terms and instead trust him who died and was raised again to rescue you. This is wisdom. This is wise. The world calls faith in Jesus Christ foolish, but God says it is the pinnacle of his wisdom. Friends, wisdom is yours for the asking. Did you know that? And that request for wisdom sounds a lot like, Jesus, I need you. That request for wisdom sounds a lot like, Jesus, I trust you. That request for wisdom from God sounds a lot like a heart of worship crying out, Jesus, rescue me from myself. Friend, have you been made wise unto salvation today? 
Have you come to know Jesus, the wisdom and the power of God as Lord of your life and Redeemer of your soul? If not, we invite you, be wise today. Trust Christ this morning. In a moment as we close our time of worship and and as we're dismissed to small groups, I invite you, friend, if you need to know this wisdom that comes with knowing Christ, if you need to know the, the wisdom that brings real life, real transformation to your heart, real change to your soul, seek me out this morning. Let's talk about how you can know Christ as Lord today and begin walking that path of wisdom that leads to life, godliness, restoration of your relationship to God. Let's pray together.